You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This podcast is gold. Basketball gold. You're tuned into the best Cleveland Cavaliers podcast in all the land. Basketball gold. Hosted by Mike Fratello and Jeff Phelps. Brought to you by Betway.com. Betway for the sport of it. Gambling problem? 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey everybody, welcome to Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. I'm Jeff Phelps, 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. My partner, Mike Fratello, former NBA head coach with the Cavaliers and the Atlanta Hawks and the Memphis Grizzlies. Now doing color analyst work with the Los Angeles Clippers and the Cleveland Cavaliers. You're in a hotel room, I can tell. Where are you? What's going on? In Los Angeles. I just got done with a a great game. The Clippers at home against Golden State. Golden State having lost eight in a row on the road. Seven wins away from home um, the whole season coming in desperate for a win because they had identical records as the Clippers. And it was just a great game. Curry going for 50 points. I mean, I've seen him be good. I've seen him be great. He was maybe a step beyond great. His ability to make shots, I don't mean just three-pointers. I mean, going to the basket, right hand off balance, left hand off balance, off the glass. He was spectacular. And to hear the fans react to a performance like that. And at the same time, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were kind of doing the same thing, just not scoring quite the same amount of points, but making as many big shots. And it wound up to be one or two plays down the stretch and opened the game up a little bit. And the Clippers wind up holding on for the win. So that gave them the tiebreaker over Golden State. If it comes down to that at the end of the season for a position, for the Clippers, obviously, it opened up a one-game lead then over Golden State and got them closer to that home court advantage spot, the four teams above them. Before we get into some Cleveland Cavalier talk, and we're going to talk a little bit about the playoffs coming up later and the NCAA tournament, I, I want to ask you something about Golden State, Mike. First of all, how does a team without much experience go 7-27 and 27 as we speak on the road in a season? That's that's stunning to me because they're so talented, they're so good, and, and they're so experienced, yet seven wins on the road, as you mentioned. Well, one thing to keep in mind is the way schedules work sometimes, and it started out again for them. They're on a five-straight game road trip. So if you get hit with one of those four, five, or six-game stretches that you're on the road and you have key guys out, let's keep in mind Curry was out for a while before he just came back recently. You know, Wiggins has been out, and all they're saying is it's personal reasons Right. Uh, before, and everyone obviously hoping that whatever the situation is, uh, 
They want all the best for him and his family. But if he rejoins them, think about what a force and factor he was. He averaged over 18 points a game last season of winning the championship, but it was the job he did defensively on the other stars along the way in the playoffs that really brought people's attention to how good a player he really is. And I think that's him being around guys like Curry, guys like Thompson, having a Steve Kerr as a head coach that have been able to pull this out of Draymond Green, who's not afraid to go up to him and say, hey, this is what we need you to do. And if you do this, you'll give us a chance to win a championship. Uh, so when you're missing two key guys like that, even a third key guy, and you hit one of those road stretches, the losses can build up quickly. So I know Steve Kerr's, you know, totally upset with that. But Steve has been around. Steve understands all this. And prior to the game that night, you know, he said, we, we need to win on the road. We need to uh, reaffirm that we're a really good team. He said, we're playing well right now. We'll welcome, you know, Wiggins back whenever it is the time, if and when it's the right time. But in the meantime, we've got enough to win games, and, and they certainly do. Uh, the Clippers just that particular night had a couple baskets more. Last thought on, on the Warriors, Mike. And you mentioned Steve Kerr. Steve's done a phenomenal job in, in his first head coaching opportunity at Golden State. That seems hard to believe, but he's been there a long time now. And it's been he's been terrific, obviously, as the championship rings to prove it. And he had the offensive philosophy coming in as a great three point shooter himself. But but even for Steve, I would imagine I'm wondering as an NBA head coach, how challenging is it to know if you watch a Golden State game, some of the shots these guys put up, you just think, oh, God, don't shoot that. Oh, that was terrific. Nicely done. How do you balance knowing that you have a guy who might be the best shooter ever and that any shot could be a good shot with some shots that just don't look very good. Let's look at his backup on that same team behind Curry. You have Poole, and Poole has taken to obviously playing against him in practice every day and watching him in every game, picked up some of the Curry mentality, has worked and worked and worked on his shot, and is so dangerous when he comes – you got a guy who comes off the bench who can go for 30 on a given night. Or if they play him as a starter when Curry was out, he could replace a lot of the points that Curry scores night in and night out. To me, the key would be, if I were coaching nowadays, the first thing would be a sit-down meeting with everyone and a line of communication of what we feel are good three-point shots, what we feel are not good three-point shots. How are they coming? Are they coming down where you dribble the ball down, no pass, stop, jack it up, boom? You can get that anytime. Well, let's have an understanding of what we consider to be a good shot. And now with the work that you can do with video stuff, you sit with those people, just at the team as a whole, watch and say, guys, stop it. Is that a good shot or not a good shot? And hear what they have to say. That's a good shot. Why is it a good shot? How high a percentage shot do you think that that is? Hmm. Next one, run or stop right there. Good shot or not a good shot? So that they have to get a feel for how you're thinking, what makes a good shot, what doesn't make a good shot, and let them talk about what they think so that in the end you come to an agreement of in the game, if a guy comes down, critical time, and he hoists one up and it misses everything, and he looks over at you, you look at him and you go, not nah, 
not what we consider a good shot, you know. Yeah. So when, if you have that understanding, you move on during the season. It's not like every game you got to go back in the locker room and say, well, we took a bunch of bad shots tonight. Do they even know what a bad shot is? Have you sat with them before and told them what mm. you consider to be a good shot versus a bad shot? That's interesting. You've done this before. Once or twice. Cavaliers are sitting in fourth place as we speak in the Eastern Conference. Uh, record is 44 and 28 as we speak, and it's three games better than where they were last year, Mike. I would think everybody would agree they're on a better path. Right now, four games behind the 76ers for the third spot, two and a half ahead of the Knicks. So, you know, and then Brooklyn's behind the Knicks. They're four ahead of the Nets, the Cavs are. So it's starting to feel like you're looking at a Cavaliers, New York Knicks, Cavaliers, Brooklyn Nets first round series. The one thing I think that is clear. And, and I'll keep my fingers crossed on this. The Cavaliers are going to avoid the play-in tournament. Certainly looks that way. And I would think, Mike, that was probably goal number one going into the season. So to me, already you've achieved goal number one, which puts the season on a real path for success. Well, let me ask you this. There's a fine line, I think. If you make the play-in, can you say you made the playoffs or not until you qualify from the play-in? Yeah to make the playoffs. So I'll call it postseason basketball with the play in and then I'll call the playoffs if you get out of the play in and get into the playoffs. Does, does right. that there's another that okay? Yeah. And I think that I asked that because I wanted to help answer your question about yes, that was definitely one of their goals, not to have to go through a play in game to get to play in the playoffs. So they've given themselves an opportunity now with the record that they have right now, uh sitting comfortably when you're when you're 15 games, 16 games above the 500 mark, and you're in the backstretch of games right now, you should feel pretty, feel pretty comfortable that you're a good team and you're good enough to win your share of these last 10, last 11, last 12 games going down the stretch. So now you're fighting for something different. You're not fighting for 10 or 9. Now you're fighting for 3 or 4 to see if you can get home court advantage along with being one of the top six teams to go into the playoffs. And to me, clearly, the top three teams have been, and you could put them in whatever order you want, but the top three teams have been Milwaukee, have been Boston, have been Philadelphia, mm -hmm. as far as potential to move on in the Eastern Conference with the Cavaliers right behind them. I think the Cavaliers have been more consistent than Miami has been up to this point, but Miami is good enough to be equal to the Cavaliers if they weren't so inconsistent, but they were shorthanded so much of the time, Miami. So all that adds up as far as the depth of the rosters, et cetera. But going in from this you know, point on, the stretch run, I don't know how you can get an argument that Boston, Milwaukee, Philly aren't the top three teams in people's eyes for what they've accomplished and how good they are. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. I would agree with you completely on that. I, I think that's absolutely true. This is Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. He's Mike Fratello. 
color analyst for the Los Angeles Clippers and the Cleveland Cavaliers, former NBA head coach with the Hawks, Cavs, and Grizzlies. I'm Jeff Phelps from 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. In 16 seasons as a head coach, Mike, you took 11 teams into the playoffs. Uh, that was good work. So you're very familiar with what coaches are going through right now, but but I'm not, and I wonder if, if most folks are, and I would think no. Uh, you're thinking playoffs. You're gearing up for the playoffs. In the Cavaliers' situation, they have 10 games left. Most everybody's around that mark. If you think you're going to the playoffs and you have 10 games left, how are you coaching your team right now, Mike? Are, are you worried about wins and losses? You're worried about positioning? Are you worried about having your guys in the in the right place physically and mentally? How do you approach the late stretch run when you know you're going to the playoffs? It's different, Jeff, for every team because of the circumstance that the team might be in. For some teams coming down the stretch, they're fighting to get out of the play-in and be part of the playoff. For other teams, they're fighting for top four so that they have home court advantage going into it. For other teams that know, and, and this comes usually with lesser games remaining, like the five or six game mark, uh, left in the season. They know that they're not going to go up and catch that team, and they're not going to fall back with this team. So that might be a time to either lessen minutes. Uh, you don't want to lose your last five or six in a row going into the playoffs, obviously. But at the same time, you may be bringing somebody or some bodies back that haven't played because of injury, because they've been out, mm. or new acquisitions at the trade deadline or beyond the trade deadline, somebody who was bought out, he's out there, and now you go sign him and bring him into your team, you might want to get them playing time with the group so that you can count on them and rely on them come playoff time. So the circumstances are different, and I've been probably each one of those situations, and there are guys that every night go out and say, I'm approaching this, we want to win every game. We want to see – the 50 win mark might not seem like a whole lot, but there might be bonuses in somebody's contract. Yeah, and if they yeah. win 50 games, you get a bonus. It might be $10,000 bonus, $20,000 bonus. The guys who aren't making quite as much as the players are making, that $10,000, dollars $30,000 $30, might mean something. So mm. without understanding everybody's exact situation, it's really hard to give a definitive answer. With rotations usually tightening up in the playoffs, Mike, did you find it was something that you needed to do, tighten the rotation before you get to the playoffs so that your team had a feel for what you were going to do come playoff time? Or was it better to let everybody play and, as you kind of mentioned, get some of those guys some rest before you get to the playoffs? Or is that, again, all circumstance-based? Well, you've got to keep your guys involved. you got to keep them interested. It's very hard – to practice when you practice, and it's not very often nowadays that they practice, but when you have a practice, you want them engaged. You want them part of it. You want them listening. When they're sitting on the bench during the game, you want them paying attention in case that's the night, God forbid, someone gets injured and is out, and you have to turn to them and say, go take so-and-so's place, and they're tuned in. They're locked in. They remember what the scatter report said. They remember what you're trying to do on certain situations. So, to do that, it's like, you know, throwing that bone out there that I'm going to keep them in the rotation to keep them satisfied, to keep them occupied. But 
generally depending on how many people you played. And I don't think I ever got to the point during the regular season that we only played eight people. It may have happened certain times because of the circumstances, but I generally was a nine guy or 10 guy rotation uh, person. And now when you get to the playoffs, you have your meetings with players and everybody has to understand, Hey guys, there were things that we did during the regular season to get here that we may not be able to do the exact thing because of matchups. For example, we could play Cliff Levingson as a power forward most of the regular season when I was in Atlanta against almost every team. When we played the Celtics, we couldn't play Cliff as that position because mm. they would bring in Kevin McHale off the bench. And McHale, with the size difference, with his arm length, Cliff wasn't big enough to play him. So we got the playoff time, and we had to make an adjustment that Cliff wasn't going to get the minutes that he got during the playoffs versus Boston. If he got some minutes, maybe we throw him in for a couple minutes at the small forward position. But we still wanted Cliff's energy. We still wanted Cliff's involvement, his enthusiasm. But he had to understand why. And that's where I think communicating in the, in the locker room with your team becomes so important. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With uh, with players resting, Mike, and load management and all that stuff during the regular season, I, I think the answer to this thought is have your team where you want it. But as you head to the playoffs, is is playoff seating what it used to be? You know, I, I know you'd like to get that home court advantage and maybe have a better matchup against a given team. But I, I think a lot of NBA coaches and a lot of franchises all season long kind of gear up to have their team in a place physically, mentally where they want it by using load management and having their, their guys good to go, as opposed to having the, the best possible seed you could you know, perhaps have. Is that fair? And do you think that's accurate? I think having your players ready to go is the most important thing. If you have a healthy group, a healthy roster, then you have a chance. But I also will say that I would bet Every coach going into the playoffs, he and his staff have said, let's try and avoid these guys because we have nobody that can guard that guy. I mean, there's nobody in our team good enough to guard him. So, therefore, we're going to have to start double teaming. We have to double team. Then they'll pass the ball. Then they'll swing it around. Then they'll get open threes. So, I think you look for, in whoever the opponent might be, you look for the one that you match up against the best, you know, we can play with these guys. We have somebody to match them up in each of the positions. I'm not worried about we're going to get destroyed in this one position. That's part of what goes into it also. The Cavaliers, Mike, as they're gearing up here for the playoffs, have had a really nice stretch the last four games out of Karis Levert coming off the bench for two of those. He started two of those games. But Karis over the last four, as we speak now, 19.3 points a game, shooting 52%, which has been terrific. It's the first time this season that he has scored 15 or more points in four straight games. And, and what I love about it, he's been really efficient. He hasn't taken more than 14 shots in any of those four games and yet scored 15 or more in all four games. 
How crucial could he be come playoff time, Mike, for a team whose bench scoring has been way down this year, a team that doesn't have Kevin Love coming off that bench anymore. But here's Karras in money time in March really putting up some big numbers. Let's remind everyone that Karras Levert was that guy starting in the backcourt with Darius Garland when Donovan Mitchell couldn't play in Boston, and all he did was score was it 40 or 42 that particular night, night. His backcourt partner had four, the opposite. So together combined, they had 82 points between the backcourt, not a bad performance. So if a guy is capable of stepping in on the road against Boston and scoring that kind of a number, uh, you've got a pretty good guy, whether he's starting or coming off the bench that you could turn to. And it's just great to see him down the back stretch in crunch time games stepping in and giving you four games of 15 or more points. That's impressive. I, I've always liked his game, Mike. And I, I also like the fact that he had to, but seemed very willing to accept a situation because he was starting early on. And then the Cavs kind of decided, you know what? We, we really like you coming off the bench here. So we're going to start Donovan and Darius, which everybody knew, and, and then bring you in off the bench and turn you into hopefully instant scoring off the bench. That's Vinny Johnson. He t- they turned him into Vinny Johnson microwave. <laughs> Can he do that? Can he do that on a regular basis? I, I've always loved his game, Mike. Look, his game is very good. I saw him play in Brooklyn where he had nights of being spectacular. Uh, we've seen him have spectacular nights already here as a Cavalier. I just think it was a terrific pickup. I'm so happy he's the kind of person that he is, that he's willing to do what the team needs him to do, willing to play the role they need him to play, whether it be bringing the ball down the court, being the off guard, being the small forward along with uh, Garland and Donovan Mitchell. And that's what makes him even so special, more important that tell me what you want me to do. Mm -hmm. Want me to go guard that guy there and try and take him out of the game. I'll do the best I can. He's got the athleticism. He's got the length. He can make shots. He can put the ball on the floor. He's a willing passer. That's a pretty good prospect. This is Basketball Gold with... Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Fratello and Phelps, he's Mike Fratello. We know he's a former NBA head coach. We also know he's a color analyst for NBA teams right now, the Clippers and the Cavaliers. What you might not know about Mike, former college assistant coach. So here we are at NCAA tournament time, Mike. And I'm guessing you're getting some flashbacks to back in the day. And let me run through the resume real quickly. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, You went from being an assistant coach at your alma mater, Hackensack High, to Rhode Island, where you worked with Tom Carmody, then to James Madison, where you worked with Lou Campanelli, who just passed away, actually, in January. Yes. And then with uh, your buddy and a gentleman I had the pleasure of playing some golf with and getting to know a little bit, Roly Massimino, at Villanova. So Rhode Island, James Madison, Villanova. Assistant coach back in the day, college, trying to get to that NCAA tournament. That had to be fun. It was just 
so great to think back on the opportunities that, that you're presented. Uh, I went to high school coaching for one year out of college, coached the fresh. Uh, my, my former high school coach said to me, what team do you want to coach? You want to coach the freshman team? You want to coach the JV team? And you're going to be my assistant with the varsity team. So I said to him, coach, what do you want me to do? Tell me. So he said, I, I would like you to coach the freshman team. And he said, we just built a brand new gymnasium at the junior high school. Ooh. Yeah, you have to drive maybe 10 minutes to get there. But it's your own gym, not sharing it with anybody. Don't have to get out at a certain time. It's brand new. It's beautiful. And it would be yours to work in. And I think this freshman group could really be a special group. So I said to him, that you want me? Sure. He said, well, the JV team. If a, a player is any good, he's going to be on the varsity. He's not going to be on the <laughs> JV anymore. So he said, so I'll let it be your choice. I said, I'll take the freshman team. So I took the freshman team that year. And uh, unfortunately, it made me think that I could coach. And <laughs> that group uh, of players wound up going 22-0. and 0. Oh. They won the freshman county tournament. And... After a little while, I realized my five foot six starting point guard that could dunk with two hands cool. as a freshman wasn't like normal to every school. Like I may have had something special. <laughs> my my six foot three center that eventually went on and played at St. John's University. Well, he played for me as a freshman as my starting center. He won the state of New Jersey AAU which is open to everyone, as you know, AAU high jump championship at 6'10". So I had him as my starting center at six foot three. Way to pick him, Mike. So I, I thought I did a pretty good job of drafting yeah. players. Yeah. They help you win games. Nice. It's like the Larry Bird story from the other podcast where Larry won the shooting contest and then told you it was because of your drills. Yeah, the drills we did. You're right. <laughs> no, I realize that. The players did make a difference, and maybe I was very lucky to have said I'll take the freshman team job instead of the JV team. Well, it led to an opportunity to go into college coaching, which is terrific. And in 1978, with Raleigh Massimino, you were coaching with Raleigh, uh, Villanova went to the Elite Eight in 1978. The field was 32 teams back then, first time in the NCAA tournament under Raleigh there at Villanova, and kind of getting the Wildcats back on track. What, what do you remember about that? And how how cool is that tournament format in comparison to an NBA playoff format where it's a lot more of a grind and, you know, you win, you lose a game, well, it doesn't matter because it's the best of either, you know, three or five or seven, depending on the year in the series. Well, I, I remember so much was is similar. A larger scale now, as you mentioned, the smaller field. But just like you see all these teams gathered together, they now have these great rooms that they can be in either in their facilities or in a hotel where they get a ballroom and they're all in there together. Uh, some with the fans and backers. And, but we did the same thing at Villanova because that's what Roley was all about was the family together in this thing. So we're waiting. I can remember that night waiting for the announcements. Who's going to be, uh, are we going to get in? You know, who's going to be our first opponent in the first round? Obviously, with Roley there and the players there, there had to be food there. So we had food because <laughs> food is so important uh, to Roley's day. And then 
when the announcement happened and everybody's hugging each other and we're so excited that we got into the NCAA tournament, when the players left and it was just Roley and the staff, then we broke out the Sambuca and we had a little <laughs> shot of Sambuca each. Uh, it wasn't Sambuca, it was Frangelica. I'm sorry, I apologize. <laughs> it was Frangelica that we did a little shot of to congratulate each other for making it. <laughs> I, I'll never forget that. that that's awesome. Um the tournament now, Mike, it was 32, as we mentioned, when, when you went with Villadova. It's now 64-plus, you know, with the, the play-in games and everything else. Is that too many teams? Or or let me throw this bad con- – and I think it's a bad concept, but let me throw it at you. Uh, according to what I was able to find, 352 Division One schools. Or should you expand the tournament? And you know, keep maybe take it off campus or something like that, and or or put it on campus before you go to the NCAA tournament. Or is sixty-four and a couple of play-ins the right number? I think it's a great number right now. Uh, the number that you mentioned, three hundred and fifty-two, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, the truth of the matter is, there are certain teams in that three fifty-two that are better in a different class than the rest of them, and that's what you shoot for: is to be part of that group. And I don't think I want to drag it on anymore. I don't think I want to include more weekends. And I understand what the dollar sign will do, okay, to help out universities or athletic programs. But it's a great number, knocking it down that, you know, that first round where you play your first game and your second game, and now all of a sudden you're down to the next group. Then you get to the Elite Eight. You get to the Final Four. It's terrific. It really is. And uh, – Winning your it gives meaning to winning your your division or your conference uh, championship that helps. It matters that you may have had a bad year, but have a chance in your conference tournament at the end of the year to earn a spot in it. Uh, you see names in there that if you just let it be straight up and be selected by a panel of whoever it is, 10, 12 people, they would never get in. But because they have a chance to win their tournament, they get one of those automatic bids that they've reserved for them. It brings so much excitement. It puts so much pressure. That first round, if you're a number one or you're a number two seed, Arizona getting beat by Princeton. Yeah. I, I you know, Virginia going back in and having another disappointing loss. Yeah. yeah losing Virginia won an NCAA championship, okay, a couple of years back. But They've tasted some very, very tough losses along the way, which are hard. It's hard on coaches. The pressure is so great. The alumni put so much pressure on. Uh, but to be at the scene, to be in the arena on those moments is just just something special. So I love the way it is, Jeff. Let's not touch it too much, okay? All right. But how about this? I love, and, and I talked about this earlier today on our radio show, I, I loved – before the one and done rule with the NBA, where you, you kind of had some big schools that had great players and they were going to keep them a while. And you could follow teams, I think, a little bit more, Mike, than just following schools, if you if you follow me on this one. Like like Five Slam Majama, they were together for a while. You know, you saw Hakeem and Clyde Drexler and those guys together for a while. Reed Geddes was on that team, I remember. And you could follow teams like that, the great UCLA teams. And now, you know, with, with one and done, so many of the teams are retooling with their top guys. 
I don't like that aspect of it, but the one aspect of it with a one and done I do like, it might give teams like Butler, you know, who had an opportunity a couple of years in a row to keep a group together that might not be quite as talented, but is a is a team and plays the game as a team concept. So on one hand, I don't like the one and done what it's done to college, but I do like that one aspect where maybe some some schools that aren't usually basketball powers might be able to pull off some things because they've stayed together longer. Well, where does that all fall for you? I agree. I, I do not like the one and done situation at all. And I'm not trying to deprive anyone of making a living because that's the immediate argument that you get that, you know, tennis players at 15 or 16 years old can earn this much money by winning tennis tournaments. Basketball is different. It's not tennis. It's not football. But what that allowed, and, and one thing you didn't mention about being able to keep them in school longer, it was instant credibility. It was mm-hmm. instant marketing. When you drafted a guy who had been at the school for three years or all four years, that when he came into the NBA, people knew, hey, I know, I recognize this guy. I saw him on TV the last couple of years. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a really good point. Now you have guys coming in that – they get on the floor and people turn to each other and go, who's that? Or where do he play? Because they don't know him. If you don't happen to catch his games during the one year he's there or the guys who circumvent the one year and go right to the Ignite team in the G League right. where they get their year or two of seasoning in before they decide to go into the draft, it, it it's not the same that way. I about remember a couple of years back that Chicago Loyola team that did so well. I, I right. believe that was a group of guys who were together for a while. The coach had a chance to coach them and they won and they won and they won. And they had this, the nun in the wheelchair who was <laughs> praying for them every game. They and, played as a unit. Yeah. She was doing her job and they were doing their job. And then when they got as far as they did, then the coach left and got a new job. Okay. At a, at a different place. So yeah. it benefits everybody to have a bunch of veterans playing that know each other and that you can develop in your system. Mm. And then a team that might have way more talent, but they're one-year guys or two-year guys. And that's what Roy Williams, Mike Krzyzewski, John Calipari, that's what they had to learn to do is change from the standpoint of building teams that were dominant teams over a two, three, maybe four-year period to instantly winning. I'm going to have this guy for one year, and he's going to be gone from here. So it changes their recruiting approach when they go out and talk to families and talk to the next recruits. You're not going behind your own guy's back saying mm-hmm. you you probably, probably, not guaranteeing you, but you probably have a chance to be our starting point guard next year. And then the parent goes, wait a minute, you got Johnny Smith, who's a great starting point guy. Yeah, but Johnny Smith's not going to be here. At the end of this year, he's going to go hard. You know, he's gone. He's going to the NBA. Right. So it changed all of that for those guys. And I believe part of that is what may have made them decide to time to step down. That, along with the portal, which I think is terrible. I do mm. not like the the portal where I lose a couple of key guys. I don't worry about it. We'll go to the portal. We'll get four or five guys from other colleges to come in and play for us. So if you have a beautiful campus or a tremendous reputation, but you don't have any more players left, you go to the portal, you talk to four or five guys, and, hey, we want to come in. I got Johnny over there coming. 
I got Billy over there because you want to come in? And all of a sudden, you pour four new people in that didn't cost you a whole lot of money to recruit. Yeah. But they're pretty good players. Well, even with all that, and I, I agree, there are things about it I don't like. I think we all can agree we enjoy the NCAA tournament. So enjoy watching that. Enjoy you're out on the road with the Clippers right now. Enjoy the stretch run there. Ty Lue's doing a great job. They're sitting fifth. Cavaliers are sitting fourth. You have a lot of basketball ahead of you, sir. I do, and I hope that I can continue on at the end of the regular season somewhere for those beginning first round of the playoffs. That would be fun. He's Mike Fratello. I'm Jeff Phelps. This has been Basketball Gold. Thanks for listening. This has been Basketball Gold. Brought to you by Betway.com. Betway, for the sport of it. Gambling problem? 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah.